Welcome to Digging Deeper, a podcast of Christ Church, South Philadelphia. In this podcast, we seek to equip our members to live out their faith in the everyday stuff of life. I'm Matt. And I'm Jeff. We are pastors at Christ Church, and we have revived the podcast, at least uh, for this sermon series, or at least for this past couple sermons. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Maybe more than my mom will listen to it this time. Yeah, so. <laughs> well, thank you, Kim. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> Appreciate it. Yeah. No, we uh, we just felt like, obviously, there's only so much that can happen on a Sunday morning, and uh, really grateful for how our small groups are processing the content from God's Word that we're going over, and so we want to try to answer questions, one that we're hearing from small groups, or two, quite frankly, just stuff that I didn't have time to get into the sermon on Sunday. Uh, you know, these are obviously weighty subjects, these are important subjects, and God really wants to meet us in these things, and so we felt like, yeah, just having this podcast would be another uh, good space to be able to process some of what we're learning from from God's uh, word on this. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Just to kind of bring us up to speed, even for those that for some reason maybe weren't able to tune in uh, to or tune in uh, <laughs> podcast talk here, uh, we're able to be here on Sundays for this the sermon. So we yeah. had your first sermon uh, in the series, Untwisting the Truth on Grace and Truth. And yeah. To have have both in our uh, the way we engage our culture, and then. Uh, mm. This past week, you spoke about God's purpose in sex. Yeah. Right? And just, uh, yeah, anything you yeah. can elaborate well, on? Well, you know, I think the first sermon, Grace and Truth, not many Christians are going to have a hard time with that. You know, I think in theory, it's like, that's great. You know, we want to, we talked about living with grace as we stand on truth. And so, um, I think that's something that we're open to. But then when the rubber hits the road, what does that really look like? And so, it's easy to talk about those things in theory, um, but... The Bible doesn't talk about things in theory. The Bible talks about things very practically um, because God wants to meet us in um, the details of our lives. And so that's why we're getting to these specific subjects. And yeah, I don't know if any subject is more um, details of our lives, intimate part of our lives, than talk about our sexual lives. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, but, but, you know, God talks about this all the time, all over Scripture. Mm -hmm. And so in that sermon, was really trying to give us a framework um, to begin to work through and understand you know God's good plan for sex. What he what he wants for us in that, and then how it's meant to inform um, what God you know then says we shouldn't do with sex. And that's where I was trying to give that picture of you know a lot of times we just the Christian the Christian sexual ethic is spoken of in a negative, um, but the reality is God wants God's given us negatives. He has given us things that we're not to do. That I mean, people are like oh, I'm gonna try to interpret it. Like it's pretty clear to interpret it. God says do not do this, you know? Yep. And so it's pretty clear it's a negative, but the reason God's going to negative is because there is a positive, you know, like a negative of a picture back when we used to have those, uh, those, those negatives get developed so you can see the beauty of the image that was captured. And that's why Jesus goes back to Genesis one and two to really describe God's purpose for sex. There's something beautiful God's created here. And, uh, and he wants us to see that. And so part of being able to see that means that there are negatives, things we're not to do, but, but it's not just about what God's against. It's really what God is for and the beautiful picture that God wants to give us um, through the one flesh he's created uh, for us in, um, in male and female. And so I don't want to go back and, and re-preach the whole sermon, but yeah, yeah. basically just put it out there. We did look very clearly about how God says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two should become one flesh. So it is the one flesh relationship, which is a sexual relationship, is meant to take place in a holding fast covenant. So it's it's meant to take place in the covenant of marriage and only marriage, and so premarital sex, uh, polyamory, um, you know, any kind of sexual relationship outside of 
uh, marriage is sinful and marriage is meant to be between one man and one woman. And so that's why, you know, you look at Romans 1 and 1 Corinthians 6 and all these places that, that say very clearly that homosexuality is a sin. That's why, because marriage is meant to take place between one man and one woman and sex is only meant to happen within the marriage covenant. So I'm not going to go ahead and there's a whole reason why, you know, yeah. God, God does that way. Why God create different genders. And I'm actually going to be preaching on gender this, uh, this Sunday as well. But, um, but that's what this podcast is in response to, I guess, trying to, you know, untwist more of that truth and, yeah. and, and talk, talk more about some of the questions that come up with that. Yeah. Yeah. And we've, uh, been doing that in our small groups too. So it's been helpful to, to get some, uh, questions from different, uh, small group leaders or, or different people in the small groups. Just, Hey, can you guys talk more about this? But, uh, yeah, just, uh, you know, obviously this is a controversial subject. Um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, I, I don't know necessarily speaking grace and truth, although truth can be controversial, right? Um, sure. You know, um, but uh, just, you know, this recent sermon on God's purpose in sex. And I think one of the questions is just like, you know, is this, is it, why even talk about this, right? Is right. this, um, you know, it's so controversial. Should we just kind of like, you know, you know, even from a, lo- a lot of, uh, I, I would say mature believers were kind of like, oh, we're, we're going there. Like, you know, yeah. wh- why, you know, so yeah, uh, yeah what? what was some of the thoughts behind that and yeah yeah, speak more on that yeah well i think one of the reasons that there is so much confusion is because uh we didn't speak to these things i want to say we i mean the the american church probably early enough uh we've made a lot of cultural assumptions that i think were unhelpful and we need to be more biblically informed than culturally informed and uh and so i think it's important to speak to what the bible says about you know uh the culture that we live in and and i think it's most important to speak about what the bible says about uh, the places where our culture is most clearly kicking back against what the Bible says. There's this great quote, and I'm going to paraphrase it from Martin Luther, uh, who talked about, you know, where the culture is most clearly um, going against what God's Word says, that is where you need to be most clear about what God's Word says. Like, that, that's, where the, that's where the heat is. Yep. And so you can retreat, but in doing so, you're, you're really denying Christ. And so... Um, you know, if Jesus isn't big enough to handle these hard things, then what kind of Jesus are we following? Mm-hmm. Um, and so God cares about this. This is something that is obviously very personal, something very um, significant. And so God's not like absent from all that. And he's very clear in his word. And so we want to be clear and speak to these things. Um, you know, part of what we've been called to do as a, as, as a church and as Christians um, is, you know, it says in, in when Jesus left, uh, you know, left earth in Matthew 28, his great commission, he says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. He doesn't say, teach them to observe, just that I die on the cross for you. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a lot of times, like, let's just talk about the gospel. Yes, we need to talk about the gospel, um, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Absolutely, we need to talk mm-hmm. about that. But that's not all we should talk about, right? If we believe Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that means that we now, he's, uh, you know, as Acts will talk about, he has purchased us by his blood. Our life is no longer our own. We are his. And that means all of our life. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a Christian, we don't just believe Jesus down the cross for my sins. We believe that through that death, his death purchases us and makes a claim on every aspect of us. And so we now need to observe what he says in, in everything that he commands. And we're meant to teach that. It's not just for me, right? We're meant to, we're commanded to teach that. And so God left us behind on earth. The reason that we're not in heaven right now, worshiping him in glory, is because he has a mission for us here. And his mission is not just to make the gospel known, but to make what God, all of what God says known. Mm. Um, 
if we're not if we're not based on sure if we're not speaking to these things we're not fulfilling the great commission mm-hmm. uh, we're failing what god's given yeah. us to do um yeah and i think the i think the last thing i would say is you know and i i got into this in one of the sermons but i think psalm 16 many are the sorrows of those who run after other gods mm-hmm. but at your right hands are pleasures forevermore mm-hmm. like if people are worshiping the false gods of sex and gender identity and just all these things we're going to get into, um, they're compounding their sorrows. Mm. This, this is a hurting world and it's not oppressive to someone. It's not regressive to say, um, you shouldn't hurt yourself. You know, it's actually feeling someone's pain, feeling someone's angst, feeling their inner turmoil and coming and saying, you know what? In Christ, there are pleasures forevermore. You know, mm-hmm. God says, I, I've set out before you in Deuteronomy. I've set before you life and death. Choose life. And that's what God wants for us. His righteous path is not oppressive. It's for our good. There is life at his right hand. And so that's why we want to talk with these things, because we love people. We should want them to experience life. I hope people love me enough about that. Like, mm-hmm. I got stuff going on in my life, and I hope that people are like, oh, you know, I'm going to talk to Jeff about all the things good he's doing, but I'm not going to talk about anything controversial or hard like no like i need you to speak into the the place where i need to speak into my life most are the places where i'm feeling most tempted to sin that's why i need someone watching my back and pushing me to follow christ and so we just want to do the same with all of us you know Mm -hmm. um so that's why we talk with these things we talk about these things because jesus has told us to and jesus has told us to because he loves us and he wants what's best for us and he knows that life is found in following his word Mm. amen that's great yeah yeah, it's uh, one of the conversations we had in our small group was, you know, well, hey, people are going to kind of do what they're going to do. But I just love what you're you're pointing out. It's like, no, God's grace is, you know, is is stronger. God's grace abounds. God can change lives. And, mm-hmm. you know, although it, it can uh, it's an act of love, even if it is, uh, you know, controversial or or uh, to, to share the truth and seek to lead people to that. So yeah, really appreciate that perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, um, question for you, um, you know, it, it it seems really hard to say that, that someone who has homosexual desires, um, you know, to, to call that person to deny those desires for their whole life, right? It just, <laughs> hey, you know, my, my whole life, do I have to be saying no to these things? Um, uh, why would a, a loving God want that from them? That, yeah. That's... Uh, think something people can struggle with is just that that seems really long and and uh yeah can you can you speak into that yeah well you know i think one begin just by validating that that is hard you know um denying denying that part of yourself is hard you know uh for sure so i wouldn't want to say that like or act like that's easy Mm. but um you know i was really provoked by a sermon i heard from a guy named Sam Albury, who's like super helpful on this topic. He's someone who uh, feels the temptation towards same-sex attraction, but is uh, embracing God's call on his life to uh, to say no to that sin. And um, and one of the things he says is like people say all the time, like oh, it must be so hard for you to deny yourself. And he's like, that's how Jesus defined what being a Christian is. Jesus said, you know, he you know take up your cross and follow me. You know, mm-hmm. um, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. That's what it means to be a Christian. A lot of times, you know, Christians talk about taking up our cross. Oh, just my cross I have to bear sitting in traffic. Just my cross I have to bear. Like, 
the hardships in your life are not the crosses you have to bear. What did it mean for Jesus to take up, you know, uh, his cross? It meant that he went to go die. Mm. And so being a Christian means that you're dying. It means that you're dying to yourself. It means that you are saying that my life is not going to be defined by my desires. My life is going to be defined by Christ, and he's going to be my great desire. Following him, you know, is worth everything to me. Uh, I think about Jesus said, like, the kingdom of God is like the man who found a field and there was a great pearl in it, right? And he sold everything he had so he could have that pearl of grace price. Like, Christ is the pearl of grace price. But that means that we're going to have to sell things off. Like, we, like there is a cost of following Jesus, and he never made that unclear. You know, when he calls disciples, he said, like, whoever's not willing to leave father and mother for me is not worthy of me. And, like, that wasn't figurative. It was like, literally, these guys had to leave behind their parents to go follow Jesus. And so, but he was worth it. He, he's, he's worth everything. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so I think, like, you know, what Sam Albert says is, like, man, if you're feeling compassion for me, I don't know what kind of Christianity you're having. Because if your Christian life isn't hard for you, then I don't think you're doing it right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, you know, and so yep. while we do want to be sympathetic to how hard that might be for someone to experience same-sex attraction to be able to deny that, there is, I need to be denying my sinful desires in a variety of ways. I need to be denying my sinful desire of comfort and not being willing to take risks. And, uh, you know, I need to, to, you know, my sinful desire for material things, uh, my sinful heterosexual lust that I can experience. Like, there are so many things about us that we need to be denying all the time. And so um, I'm not saying we shouldn't be sympathetic. I think we should. But we don't want to misdefine Christianity, that Christianity is just here to give you your best life now. It, it's to give you your best life in Christ, which is your best life for eternity. Yeah. But here on earth, it's going to feel like taking a cross. Like every day, and Jesus actually says, you know, daily take up their cross, right, in Mark. And so every day when you get out of bed, there's a cross waiting for you as a Christian. Are you going to pick it up? Mm, because yeah. Jesus is worth it and he's better. Mm. And so I think it's really important that we understand that, that like, because I think there can be, while we want to be sympathetic, we, I think we'd be overly sympathetic. Like, oh, this must be harder for you. Mm. It should be no harder for someone who feels the temptation to same-sex attraction to follow Jesus than it is for me who feels, you know, uh, opposite gender a- a- attraction, right? Like, um, the reality is we are all need to deny various parts of ourselves to follow Christ. Mm. And, and again, like I said earlier, that denial is worth it because he's better and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Um, and so I, I think we want to be sympathetic, but not overly sympathetic, because this is what the Christian life is. It's denial of self, life for Christ. Mm, yeah. yeah, that's really helpful. Um, I know you got into it a little bit, but it just makes me think about how, um, even in, in Psalm 16 that you quoted, right, those that go after other gods, you know, and, and the reality is they're, what they've done is there's a God substitute there, right? You right. know, at God's right hand are pleasures forevermore. So what's kind of like the, obviously the Christian life do, is denying ourselves but there's also a sense of denying ourselves for you know for what's true and like you know right. so there's you know so what would be the other side i know you got into a little bit in your sermon where there was just the yeah you're, you're denying yourself here but there's actually incredible fellowship that that can take place in the body of christ there's intimacy right you're looking for intimacy in the wrong right. place so right anything can you, you speak on that a little bit yeah i think i think two things and i tried to flush that out in my sermon a, a little bit but just to give some more space here one you know, obviously God has created us, hardwired us to be people who want intimacy. It's part of how we image him. Uh, and so God's a being who exists in community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so, um, you know, he's wired us for intimacy. And uh, But I think that, you know, we live in such a sexualized culture that we only think of intimacy in terms of having intercourse. <laughs> but no, we actually, and you look at this in scripture, like there can be deep love between people mm. of the same gender. 
And like we look back in them, you know, in our 21st century Western eyes, be like, oh, you know, they must have been gay, right? And so um, when David tells Jonathan, your your love for me was better than than any woman's, it's like, oh, well, David and Jonathan are obviously gay. The guy's like, well, no, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible actually prohibits that. Um, and the Bible has no problem calling David out for his sin because he gets does get corrected for his sexual sin of adultery. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think the Bible is trying to whitewash anything about uh, about David. But it's a genuine experience that with with Jonathan, there was just this sweetness and depth of friendship and relationship. And we have to get back to being able to do that and that not be something that's gay, that being something that's really good. Um, and uh, and just have a deep, a deep bond of friendship. And with that, too, you know, you talked about other gods. I think part of this conversation, like people like, you know, think about people who experience same sex attraction. It must be so hard for them. They won't be able to sex next, next step. They'll, they'll never be able to get married. And, and maybe, you know, maybe that may, may that be the case. But I think another God that we can make sometimes is, is actually, we can make marriage into a God. You can make marriage into an idol. Uh, and so marriage is a good thing. Uh, the Bible says marriage, let marriage be held in honor amongst all. And so marriage is a good thing. It obviously pictures Christ and the church. And so, um, you know, again, I, I packed that on Sunday, um, this past Sunday on our sermon about sex. And so it, it's a good thing, but it's not an ultimate thing. Yeah. Marriage is meant to picture something better than itself. And so if I have a relationship with Christ, I have something better than marriage, mm-hmm. right? Like I love my wife, Angie, but I love being with her more than I love pictures of her. I love pictures of her. They're great. But if I could be with her, like she's the picture is what shows me her. She's the one I appreciate and value. And so I think that, you know, as as one of the things we made, uh, you know, a little bit of a challenge with as a um, as a Christian culture sometimes, at least in evangelical circles, is we've just idolized marriage. It's like, you know, you, know, you have to be married. You be married, is, you know, that you're a JV Christian until you get married, and then, like, you hit the varsity league and all mm-hmm. these things. And, no, the reality is, um, you know, Paul says it's better not to be married. Uh, and so we can, um, you know, there's lots of nuances that go into that, but certainly Paul's not married and he's, I think the point of what he's saying, um, again, there's lots of nuances, but just baseline, like you can actually do a lot of things for God as a single person. And so a single person is not like, you know, I'm just half a person looking for other person to complete me. You know, it's like, no, you're a whole person who maybe one day God will call to be with someone else. Um, but the marriage, the, the miracle of marriage is that it's two holes coming together as one. It's, it's mm. the divine math of one plus one equals one. Um, so what that means is as a single, you're still one, you're a whole being and you're valuable and you have contributions to make. Um, you know, and so even if like, again, you experience same sex, the temptation to same sex attraction and, uh, and you're going to be denying that your whole life. And that means that you're not going to be able to enter into marriage because, you know, you don't feel attracted to the opposite sex. Um, you don't desire marriage to, to someone who's not of your same gender. Like, uh, obviously on one hand, you know, grief for you for sure. Um, like that's, that's probably hard. Um, I think it's hard for any single who's been single their whole life. Like marriage is a blessing, but that doesn't mean that like you're somehow less than mm-hmm. or, or your life is less meaningful for God. Actually, in some ways, again, I think Paul's pretty clear in first Corinthians, you actually have more opportunities to glorify God. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause you know, mar- it says the a married man is divided in his attention. Right. And so, yeah, I got to think about my wife and kids and like other things going on in my life. I can't just be thinking about my life and Jesus, right? I have to think about a lot of other things. And so I think the single person actually has a phenomenal opportunity. They're a gift to the church to be celebrated and validated. Mm-hmm. And uh, I hope that they're appreciated here in our church. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many singles. I'm so grateful. Like we wouldn't be who we are as a church without them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, anyways, uh, so I think it's important part too, when you're kind of like teasing out the, the, you know, the person like, 
develop deep friendships and also like if, if you're going to be single your whole life like don't view that as less than but embrace that as a as a yeah. holy calling yeah that's a great point yeah it's interesting uh and I, I think this probably just speaks to our cultural moment is that i've noticed a lot of christian books coming out on friendship right and just i think people just long for deeper friendships and deeper relationships and yeah, it's just interesting to see a lot of good ones. Out. I was just reading one. I think Drew Hunter was his name. Um, mm. You know, recommended book. Really good mm. friendship. Oh, cool. I'd love to read that. I haven't read that yet. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, let's get into a um, little bit of kind of where the rubber hits the road here as we're thinking through, you know, and again, with that, um, you know, grace and truth paradigm that, that we're, we're thinking through. What, what does it, what does compassion look like without condoning? Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, well, yeah, I think we we kind of saw how right part of grace is having compassion for people, um, feeling where they're hurting, understanding how they're hurting. You know, I, I, I think about how Jesus, when he got near to Jerusalem, it says he wept over the city because yeah. they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, the reason they were sheep without a shepherd was because of choices they made. Like they had rejected God, right? And so it was their sin that put them in the position that they were in. And yet Jesus still wept over what they were experiencing as a consequence of their sin. And so I think we need to make a distinction that we can grieve the consequences someone is experiencing without affirming the cause that that created those consequences that they're, they're experiencing, right? So like, for example, if a homosexual person gets kicked out of their home or shamed by a church or um, physically assaulted. I mean, just all kinds of things that can happen, like real realities. Like someone shows up at my door bleeding because they've been beaten. I don't care why they've been beaten. I'm going to hug them, heal them, put some ice packs on them, you know? Um, If someone says like, man, my parents won't speak to me because I came out to them. Like that's that's traumatic. And we should feel compassion for that. Um, now I'm, I'm feeling compassion, like, oh, that must be so hard uh, for you. I'm so sorry for you that, that that that's been your experience. We should feel that. That doesn't condone their sin, you know. Um, obviously, um, to, to I mean, we've been really clear. So I'm going to no points not to say something I didn't say on Sunday. Like homosexuality is a sin. So if someone's living in a homosexual relationship, that is a sinful thing. But they might be experiencing consequences of that, you know, persecution and all kinds of hard things that we should have compassion. So have compassion for the effects of sin without affirming the sin. And I think I think that distinction is just really is just really crucial to keep. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, just as you're saying that it, it just brought to mind Ephesians five where, you know, therefore be imitators of God mm. as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us and just thought of like well, how did God love that's how God loved mm-hmm. us right he mm-hmm. you know he didn't condone our sin but thank God that he didn't just say hey you you made your bed now lie in it right? right but he came and he gave us mercy and he he welcomed us to himself and yeah just a, just a beautiful picture of that yeah yeah so if I have a you know um a friend who's in a homosexual relationship and they're talking about how hard it has been for all the things that they're experiencing. I can enter into that compassionately and be like, I'm so sorry for that. Right. I am sorry for that. Mm-hmm. Now, hopefully as, as I talked about on Sunday, you know, hopefully our compassion 
creates space to have a conversation. If that person knows that I'm grieving for them, that I feel for them, that I love them, hopefully that'll give me a door into their life to be able to talk to them about God's, you know, good, good plan for them and Lord's redemption and what the Lord would want for them. Um, and so again, it's not that we don't speak about it, but, um, you know, I think we have to, how's this person experiencing the hard side effects of sin? And I want to have compassion for those hard side effects. Uh, you know, as you're saying that, one of the, I think just in this cultural moment we live in and kind of this, you know, cancel culture, um, you know, I, I know there's a lot of Christians who get a little worried because, you know, hey, I, I, I want to love this person. I do love them. But, you know, what if I engage with grace and truth, but despite my, my best efforts to, to love this person and to deal gracefully um, it's somehow once I bring in any element of truth, it, it's viewed as hateful and intolerant. Yeah. Um, you yeah. Know, any, any thoughts on that? Yeah. I think of, um, the scripture verse and I'm, you know, don't have my Bible open in front of me right now. I probably should, should have. Um, but you know, as far as depends upon you be at peace with all men. Yeah. And so I think that that's really clear. Our call is to be at peace with people as far as depends on us. Mm-hmm. And so, with the part of that, what it means is that it's not only it doesn't only depend on me. Yeah. We can't control people's responses, and despite our best efforts, people might might not respond to that in a way that understands we really love them. And so, we can love someone genuinely, and really be trying to do our best to communicate love to them, and they might still think that we're unloving, which I know is like the worst thing that we can hear in our culture. Like, oh, you're judging me. I'm not trying to judge you at all. Um, but you're judging, you just get labeled, and you just get canceled, and that can be the worst thing. But I think it's just the re- the reality that we can't control people's responses. And I, again, I think about Christ. Like, you know, he was known as a friend of sinners, and so people wanted to be near him. Um, sinners obviously knew that he loved them. They didn't feel judged by him, but welcomed. And so Jesus was a friend of sinners. He was also killed by sinners. Yep. And so, uh, you know, people responded differently to the love of Jesus. And I'm pretty sure we can say that Jesus loved people perfectly. And so I think we see there is that, okay, here's an example of someone who loves perfectly and the results are mixed. Mm. And so we should expect the results to be mixed. And my responsibility is not to control people's perceptions of me because I can't. My responsibility is to love people from a pure and genuine heart for this is what pleases God. Mm. Um, and so really, you know, I think one of the best ways we can kind of think through this is go back to the sermon series we just did on, you know, love in 1 Corinthians 13 and try to apply that as best you can by the Holy Spirit's power. And at the end of the day, that's all you can be responsible to do. Mm, that's good. Yeah, even as you're saying that, it makes me think that there's a place where to not speak the truth. And this is something hard for us, right? Because I don't know if we always get this right as Christians where we, I think maybe a lot of times we can tend to jump the gun or like, you know, not, you know, let the relationship build or, but um, where to not speak truth is actually unloving. Right. You know? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. To, to affirm someone in an untruth is, is not kind. It, you know, we, there's all kinds of examples for this, right? Like, I hope my doctor speaks the truth to me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I hope he doesn't meet me where I'm at. Mm. I hope he gives me the medicine I need to get better. Yeah. And so I think part of why we, struggle with this is honestly we don't agree with God that sin is sinful mm-hmm. we don't agree with God that sin is harmful mm-hmm. and so we, we don't love people as much as God loves people mm-hmm. because God loves people enough 
to tell us about the things that harm us. And so really, you know, we need to ask ourselves the hard question, do we love people enough to tell them about the things that might be harming them? Yeah. Um, do we love people enough for that? And they might not think that we're loving as we do that. Um, but again, that's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is not to have people think we're loving. Our responsibility is to be loving. Yeah, yeah that's good. Yeah, you're someone who, um, to me, you know, you're a great example of someone that speak, you know, has that grace and truth balance. Um, any thoughts? I, you know, you may have gone into this in the sermon, and I, you know, I know one of our questions for small group, but, um, you know, depending on on what got discussed in your particular small group, uh, just how do you, how do you know when it's like the right time to speak truth, right? Mm. Um, you know, because I, I, you know, I think truth, you know, I think of. Uh, was Ephesians four twenty nine where you know as you know that gives grace to those who hear as fits the occasion right there's right. a certain occasion right um, you know in Proverbs uh, you know a uh, word fitly spoken right. is like apples of gold and settings of silver you know whatever right. whatever that right. you know, pictures I guess a you know it's it's a jewel right it's yeah, it's yeah. Uh, beautiful but uh, yeah how how do you know when you've kind of get that balance you know I think we all can you know either gravitate towards either we're overly gracious or overly truthful and just yeah when, when is that occasion right you know what what are some maybe markers or how would you think through you know when, when's a good time in, in the friendships you've had with people that yeah. struggle in this way who you may not be christians even how do you yeah you know where do you go well i appreciate encouragement i don't feel like i do this perfectly for sure so just to be clear on that but um you know, I think the scripture that, that comes to mind as I try to think about this is, you know, be quick to listen and slow to speak. It doesn't say be quick to listen and don't speak, mm-hmm. uh, but be quick to listen and slow to speak. And so mm-hmm. I think part of listening is, have I really heard and understand this person's story? Uh, which doesn't usually take place in one conversation. It takes place in building a relationship. And so have I really understood them? Have, have I felt like I've listened to them? Yeah. And once I then I think I'll be able to speak to them once I feel like I've listened to them. But I want to make sure that they they feel like I'm listening to them. And then also, even as I'm speaking to them, I want them to feel like I'm listening to them. So it's not like, hey, I've listened to you. Boom, now my turn. You know, it's 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 the conversation, right? It's the back and forth. Yeah. Um, it's the, what do you think about that? You know, and just try and draw people out. I mean, the more information we can get from someone the more we can understand what's going inside their head what's going inside their heart the more we can draw that out the more we're going to be able to better serve them with the truth of god again i I think about a doctor right the more a doctor can know about someone's symptoms the better patient is at describing it the more blood work they can get like the more information a doctor has the better their treatment is going to be Mm. and so i think that's just for us is like man am i taking time to get to know this person's symptoms um am i taking time to get to know what's really going on in their heart um, cause let's, let's be honest too. Like when we're talking about this stuff, like, you know, someone's talking about homosexuality, that's not the only thing in their life going on. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, you know, what's, what's, the, what's the sin behind the sin? You know, what's the longing, right? All sin comes from a desire to find something in something else that we don't think we can find in God. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. All, all sin is Genesis chapter three, you know, it, it's doubting, right. The Satan you know, is, did God really say, is, is God really good? Like he's hold like, oh, maybe God isn't good. Maybe there's something that's better. That, that's the root of all sin. That can show an expression in all kinds of things. And so I want to ultimately get at that root and what's going on. It may not necessarily even focus on the fruit, mm-hmm. but like what's going on yeah. on the, on the, on the root issue. I, um, I had a friend 
uh, and he's actually shared about this publicly, so I, th- I think I could share it on here. Although we haven't talked for a bit, just falling off, <laughs> out of touch. Um, but if he's listening to this, uh, I love you, buddy. You know who you are. Um, he, uh, you know, he he was someone who bout 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 with addictions. You know, back when I back when I worked uh, selling copiers, and uh, I remember he was just you know really really struggling with. Um, he was like, man, if I come to Jesus and I don't get sober, I'm just gonna have to kill myself because I've tried everything at that point. Mm. And, and my point is like, man, like, you know, sobri- addiction isn't your biggest issue. You, you might have, that, that, that is a life and death issue. I'm not trying to negate that issue. We obviously have a ministry that, you know, helps reach people with addiction. So we're not trying to say it's not an important issue. It certainly is. But I'm like, bro, that, that, that's, a, that's just the fruit of your life of a deeper issue going on. Mm. Yeah. Sober people, there's a lot of sober people going to hell is what I told them. There's a lot of sober people going to hell. And so you, we really, you really got to think about what's, what's, what's the sin behind that sin. Yeah, addiction's a sin. But what's the sin behind the sin? You know, you get sober, but like, there's so many other things going on in your life. So many other ways that you are ruled by yourself instead of wanting to be submitted to God. Mm. And that's what you need to grip with, come yeah. to grips with, right? And so, but I could have that conversation with him because we've been friends, you know, relationship. Yeah. So, so that's just some general thoughts as far as like exactly when. I mean, I think you have to be led by the Spirit. You know, I think of how often Paul asked for prayers. He said, pray for me that a door might be open for me that I might declare the gospel boldly. And so even the great bold apostle Paul didn't say, just pray for boldness. Mm-hmm. He said, pray for opportunities. Yeah. And so I think we have to wait for the opportunity. Yeah. And, you know, if you, it's, it's a lot easier to walk in through an open door than it is to try to bash down a door. Yeah. And so I think, like, what's the open door? You know, what, what's going on? What's... um. You know, where, where, so again, that guy's talking to me like, hey, Jeff, I, you know, if I come to Jesus and I don't, you know, don't get sober, what's going to happen? Like, that's my opportunity to speak. Yeah. He's you know, yeah. he's asking questions. He's asking questions. Uh, you know, a neighbor, I shared this in a sermon, but, a, you know, a neighbor said, you know, was, why is God anti-gay? Yeah. Guess what? That's an opportunity, yeah. you know, right there um, to talk about the truth of Christ. And so I think God gives us opportunities. And so, you know, what I think paul's teaching us to pray for is to look for the opportunities god's given us and to that and, and then to ask god for the courage to walk through those open doors he's given us but don't don't go don't go banging down doors because that's how you just create a whole whole big mess and isn't helpful to anyone yeah yeah no that's super helpful i've appreciated how you've pointed out that yeah i mean homosexuality is is just one of of many sexual sins but it's a coming from a, a deeper root and we want to point people i believe you said this in your sermon to jesus right that's right. you know we right. want them to know christ and sometimes right. that might not even in those conversations you know, who knows if homosexuality at that time even gets brought up but it's you know we're pointing right. people to the lord i appreciate that and then also just the uh the thought of even hearing you talk about your friend seems like there's you know the the bridge built between you can hold a little bit of weight on it, right? There's, that's a good analogy. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, he knows you love him, right? Mm-hmm. And you're also seeing there's, you know, as you're being spirit-led, you're seeing those that door open up and saying, like, hey, let's go go deeper here. Right. So Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah that's helpful. Um, another uh, question, you know, uh, that that some have, have, have asked or, you know, wrestled with is just... Um, you know, the are homosexual desires sinful or or just the practice? Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think this often comes from someone who's who's feeling attracted in a certain way, and they're like, "Man, you know, what does this, what does this say about me?" 
uh, that I feel that I feel attracted in this way, and you know, I, I appreciate and, and feel you know the angst that often comes behind that behind that question. I think it's really important for us to draw a distinction between temptation and desire. So, um, there are certain things that that because because we live in a fallen world, there are certain temptations that we can experience just a result of generally speaking li- living in a fallen world, right? So like we live in a fallen, I have Crohn's disease because we live in a fallen world, right? Not, I don't have Crohn's disease because I sinned and God's judged me with it. I was born with Crohn's disease because we live in a fallen world, right? Mm, yeah. uh, I think some people are, you know, could, could be born with certain temptations, uh, certain proclivities to be tempted in certain ways um, that just come as a result of living in a fallen world. I, I, you know, it's very clear in, in alcoholism. Right, so uh, the genetic markers for alcoholism, and so those people, you know, who who have those things, they're probably going to be tempted their whole lives to be an alcoholic. Right, um, they're going to be they're going to be tempted that way. But that temptation is different than desire. Someone's like, oh man, I I really I really want to drink. I really want like they're cultivating, they're they're thinking about, they're fantasizing about. Maybe they're not going out and getting drunk, but they're desiring it. I do think that the desire. I think Jesus is pretty clear that that sin is not just external behavior, but sin does come from our hearts, right? And so that's what that was his whole critique of the Pharisees in uh, was it Mark Mark chapter seven, where he's like, you know, you you whitewash tombs, like you're you're taking care of the outward stuff, but you're not dealing with your inward stuff. Out of the heart comes, and he actually says, out of the heart comes sexual immorality, and so the the desire for sexual immorality, however it might be expressed, is is a sinful desire. So if I desired um, to to commit adultery, even if I don't act on that desire, that desire in and of itself is sinful, right? And so I, I do think we need to, to recognize that, that, that desires can be sinful, but I think we need to draw a distinction between temptation and desire. Mm-hmm. So, you know... Um, I, you know, I, we can all be tempted in various ways, but if I'm like denying that temptation and fleeing that temptation, not desiring that temptation, but trying to run the other way from that temptation, yeah. then I think I'm honoring God. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I'm honoring the Lord. I think I'm trying to live faithfully um, for Christ within uh, within the fallen world that, that we have to navigate. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's crucial to understand that we can't always control how we are tempted. But we can be, we're responsible to God for what we do with that temptation. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, um, am I going to dwell on it? And if I start to dwell on it and that temptation turns into desire, well, now I'm on the road of James 1, right? Desire leads to sin, sin leads to death, yep. right? And so we want to get off that train. We want to cut it off at the temptation part. That's why it says flee, flee temptation. Yeah. It doesn't say don't have temptation. It says flee temptation. Yeah. So you would... Just to help give some clarity, the um, the proclivity to a certain sin you would put in the category such as homosexual desire or homosexual. You you would say that's um, temptation, right? You're. I would say yeah. You, you're you're feeling tempted towards that. Now I want to be careful because I, I I talked about alcoholism and the genetic markers. I'm not trying to say there's genetic markers for homosexuality. Yeah. That actually, um, there's a lot of scientific, and I tried to you know I've done a. Fair amount of reading on these things, and and opinions are split all over the place. So I'm not trying to say something more than than we know scientifically right yeah. now. 
that was just an example. But yeah, no, I, I think the proclivity is is like is what I'm tempted to. This is where like just because of whether it's nature or nurture, just my my makeup, whatever makes me whatever made, whatever made that yeah, up. I'm drawn to this. I'm drawn to yeah. this type of thing. Yeah. Right. So some people uh, might be really drawn to um, gambling. Other people might be really drawn to getting drunk, just to use two different kinds of addictions, right? Um, and the person who gambles might never be tempted to get drunk. The person who's drunk might never be tempted to get gambled, right? But they're both they're both drawn in a certain way, yeah. for whatever reason, right? For some reason, you know, they they like the dopamine rush that that gives them, right? You can get dopamine in a variety of ways. For some reason, there's something that like that draws them in that, and so I do think that we can't control how we're drawn. But we can control what we're doing about that drawing. And so am I, again, that's why I just think desire is a pause. Like, I desire, you know, I desire the Eagles to win a Super Bowl, right? Like, there's things that means I want it. You're thinking on I'm it. I'm thinking on it. I, on and it. I want it. I yeah. want it. You want, yeah. Right? I want it. I think desire yeah, means, uh, desire is a want. And so. It's um, a want without the divided heart type want, right? Right. It's not like a want that I'm fighting. You're saying, right. I want this. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. Right. And so that's why I think, I think that, you know, it's sinful to want sinful things, but it's not sinful to be tempted by sin. That's just a reality of living in a fallen world. Yeah, that's helpful. That's a helpful distinction. Um, let's see what else we got on here. How are we doing on time? Uh, you know, I mean, I, I'll, I'm not overly worried about time okay. just because I think we've got to flesh this stuff out. Yeah, yeah I know this okay. is going a little bit longer than we typically do, but um, we can put some even, like, markers on this or whatever. Yeah, that's helpful. People can find stuff. Uh all right. Um, yeah, th- this was a question that came up in one of our small groups that uh, seemed they were wrestling with this a little bit. What do, what do you do if someone says they're a Christian but is also living as a homosexual? So someone in one of our small groups described someone who um, was actually in the process of getting baptized, Was um, you know really seemed like they wanted to uh, walk with the Lord and honor the Lord, but yet they were going to a, a church that um, you know affirmed homosexuality is not sinful. And, um, yeah, just how do you, what, what do you do in that, um, in that situation? Yeah, I think that's a, you know, that's definitely, that's definitely, that's definitely a challenge. I was, we actually had a similar conversation uh, after small group. I love the conversation. Usually the best talks have, happen after small group. Um, yeah. so I was on a really good conversation with someone after small group or sorry, conversation. Small group was really good too. I'm not trying to mm-hmm. downplay that, but, um, uh, and this person was asking a similar thing. They have a lot of friends who who would say they're Christians and love Christ, and yet are uh, you know living in sec- all kinds of sexual morality. Um, and I think it begins with asking a lot of questions. And so, what do you think it means to follow Jesus? Um, you know, uh, and then really just trying to. So, what, what do you think about what the Bible says, right? And and a lot of times people like. Uh, usually, because the Bible is very, it says things very explicitly about our sexuality. I mean, it, it doesn't get much more clear than do not practice this, yeah. right? Flee sexual morality. Um, flee sexual morality. Flee homosexual lust. Like, Romans 1 is about as clear as you can get, you know? Um, you can ask a non-Christian to read it, and hey, what's the basic reading of this? And they'll be able to read it pretty basically. You guys got a five-year-old to read it, and they'll be like, be able to say, "Oh yeah, this is what this, yeah, this is what this is saying." Right? Just repeat the words back. So, so and the only way to be a Christian um, is to do one of two things: it, 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 to be a Christian who, who who feels like it's fine to be sexually immoral. The, the, the only way to do that is do one of two things. One, 
you undercut the Bible by saying that it was written by man. It just, it's fallible. It's, you know, and you kind of go the route of uh, undermining inerrancy and infallibility. Well, if you start to do that, I think you've eroded the whole foundation. Because why should you believe what Jesus says about salvation if you don't believe what Jesus says about sex? Like, why is, why is, why is the Bible only right in the places where you think it is right? Like, I, I think it's just honestly pretty intellectually dishonest. Um, like, I think, you know, if you believe that the Bible is, if you believe part of the Bible is God's words, you need to believe the whole thing. Like, it's either, it's an either or, or proposition. It's either all of God's word or none of it's God's word. You're trying to pick and choose through things. Um, I think you're starting to shape, yeah. you're trying to sh- sh- shape a God into your own image. And, uh, and I think that's honestly just pretty intellectually dishonest. So I think one, by asking questions and seeing what people do with various passages, you could kind of see like, you know, what they're saying. But there are some Christians who would affirm, oh, no, this is God's word. This isn't inerrant. But then they just go through these kind of gymnastics to kind of like explain it, right? So like, for example, Romans 1, they'll talk a lot about like, well, what's in view there is, um, you know, uh, what, what's in view there is not a monogamous homosexual relationship what's in view there is being homosexually promiscuous and, and and all these kinds of things they'll bring in you know the cult practices and like all kinds of you know it's amazing how these people start becoming history buffs and like just um i'm, I'm be careful i want to say these people we all have issues in our hearts that we're that we're trying to work through yeah. um but but you know it, you start to draw it out and and you start getting a history lesson and like that's helpful it's good but i think it's really important to have conversations about the bible stay contained within the bible and so it's like hey that's great that's not what the bible says Hmm. it doesn't say men who practice promiscuous homosexuality it says men who practice homosexuality you know and you want to get down into the greek word of that um because obviously homosexual is a is a more recent english word the greek word of that means and paul actually says it more explicitly in romans one men who have who lie with another man like a woman right like um and and it means it's describing the cultural word in greek for that time of having a homosexual relationship like man who's having sex with another man that's what's saying very clearly and so um you know someone's saying they're a christian it one i don't know how you can be a christian and affirm you know think think the bible's an error i don't think you can be i think it's completely different religion you've just made up something your own kind of religions. I don't think so. I don't think that is actually Christianity. Um, and then someone who does affirm the narrative of scripture, um, but is doing all these things. I think it's a similar that you have to ask them a hard posture. Like, um, that's not what the Bible actually says. And, you know, at the end of the day, if the Bible isn't challenging you, if God agrees with everything that you say, who's really God? We should expect God to disagree with us. We should expect God to say hard things to us. We should expect God to challenge us. I should expect to come to God's word and be shaped by God's word. And so if that's not happening, then I think I have to begin to really think about like how honest am I being that I actually am following God. And so I'm not trying to say that someone is not a Christian, but uh, obviously I can't, I don't know in people's hearts, but I am saying the fruits of their actions are causing me to ask some questions about what they really believe. Um, And, and I, th- I think as you have those conversations, you know, um, someone might call, oh, you know, I do see what you're saying. Maybe they'll, they'll be convicted and they'll, they'll, they'll want to bring their whole life under the Lord's Christ. Or maybe someone will be like, well, you know, th- it'll come out very clearly that they actually don't care what Jesus says about things. Mm. Uh, and then I think you clearly know whether someone is a Christian or not based upon how they respond to Christ. Yeah, that's good. What would you say, um, 
you know, for, for someone who says, well, you know, there are a lot of, you know, Christians can, so for instance, um, you know, I think of like the cessationism, continuationism debate, right? Is prophecy relevant for today? Mm-hmm. Now we as a church, you know, believe that it, it certainly is, but we also have room for disagreement with our, you know, our Presbyterian brothers and sisters that we love that, mm-hmm. that wouldn't necessarily mm-hmm. hold to that. Um, so there's, you know, there's a matter of interpretation that obviously we, we differ on how we, mm-hmm. we read that text. What would you say to the person that's just saying, well, I think this is one of those those things where maybe you're, you know, one person interprets it one way. You you know, how do you know who, who knows kind of thing? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, I think, I think a couple things. Uh, I think one, this is a, this is a scripture that's pretty clear. And so I don't, you know, I think there's other scriptures where, um, there, there is room for like, Oh, I'm not, you could take that in multiple ways. Like this is, it again, just doesn't get more explicit. Like when God's saying like first Corinthians six, these are a list of sins. Right. Mm. And like things that like murders on there. Okay. Yeah. Pretty sure it's a sin, right? Homosexuality is included. Right. Um, and so are other things, right? I, lo- I actually love to go to Romans 1 because it talks about being disobedient to parents. I love bringing that one up at youth conferences and be like, you know, all you people are judging, you know, other people for all their sin, but like, who here has has been perfectly obedient to their parent? You know, it's we're all sinners, right? But that's, the homosexuality takes place in all those lists. And so why are you taking that out and and trying to to change that? Like, it's just, it's just um, again, I think it's, I think it's a just disingenuous way to read the Bible. And... <sighs> You know, I think so. I think it's it's pretty clear. I think it's pretty clear what the Bible says, and we need to be able to be clear that the Bible is clear on what it says, and not use that as a convenient excuse not to grapple with hard things. Mm. So I think that's one thing um, that's really important. I think the other thing that's really important is, uh, you know, this is where historical theology is really important. You know, and so what are what are some basic things that Christians have always agreed on? You know. Um, the definition of marriage and sex is one of them, right? And when I say historical Christianity, uh, I'm not saying traditional Christianity because I think when you understand Christianity is at its roots non-traditional. Like everything Jesus said, this is one of the things I talked about last last week, everything Jesus said about marriage and sex was completely controversial in his day. So it wasn't like he was just selling out to his culture and just affirming what everyone else already, but like he was dropping a radical bomb. Christianity is radical. In many ways, if I could, co-op this term it's progressive and that it goes against completely the cultural norm of its time right um and so christianity is anything but traditional um but now we've lived for two thousand years it is historic and uh and 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 you know i think i think it's i think it's you know this is something where again across across dominations we believe um, that God is one in three. We believe that salvation is found in Christ alone. We believe that the Bible is inerrant, right? Like we, and, and up until the last, let's be honest, maybe 20 years, maybe even less than that, uh, we've agreed on what it means, our anthropology, what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman, right? We've agreed on that. Um, and all of a sudden that's being, that's being, that's being changed. And so I think you're in dangerous ground when all of a sudden something that's been so clear for so long, you say, you say isn't clear. And, and I know, People love to bring up being on the wrong side of history and all that stuff. I'll be honest, I don't buy that narrative. I just don't buy that narrative because, yeah, have have, have so-called Christians done done bad things that were on the wrong side of history? I think by Christians who 
did horrific things with supporting racism or even to this day supporting uh, systemic racism in, in various ways and the way yeah, I mean I think it's just, it's just horrible what people do in quote unquote the name of Christianity but also it was Christians that were on the forefront like Martin Luther King Jr. is using Christian arguments to argue for civil rights William Wilberforce is using Christian arguments to argue for um, you know the end of slavery like yeah. and, and that was true in Jesus' day like um, you, know, you start looking you, you want to start, start talking about historical context like who, who, who are most of the a lot of the church was made up of women and um and vulnerable oppressed people people groups mm-hmm. um and and i think like because why because <laughs> the bible starts with your your main image of god and you're so loved by god they die on the cross for you like that's a very person affirming message mm-hmm. and so i just don't buy the mess i just don't buy the like well you're only saying that you know marriage between a man and a woman because you know we're on the wrong side of history and um and, and just the, just that narrative that comes it's like no every human right can be traced back to Christians being on the right side of history. Mm. And again, I'm not trying to say we haven't made mistakes. Yeah, yeah. Um, How about for, so I, but, I, I'm just kind of yeah. hearing people kind of give the, well, what about the, you know, the, the people that said, uh, you know, uh, endorse slavery because they said they found it in the Bible, right? So that, that can be like the... Uh, yeah, but it's like, look at, did they really? Yeah. Did they really? No. Yeah. No. They weren't like they weren't quoting Bible. They're taking Bible verses out of context. I could take a Bible verse and cut and paste it into whatever I want, yeah. right? And so, 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 so the answer to people taking things out of context is not to throw the Bible out; is to read the Bible in its context, right? <clears throat> so, you know, our answer, <laughs> our answer to people's um, accusations, or, or I, 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 I want to be charitable, questions about man, you know. You've been on the wrong side of things. It's not to be like, oh, man, I got to rethink everything and maybe I'm wrong. It's like, no, let me dive deeper into the truth. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, people that would use, uh, I mean, I I, I, I was having a debate with someone who, you you, you know, had to identify as a Christian and walked away and they were trying to undermine the Bible and talk about like, well, the Bible endorses slavery and they're, you know, quoting the verses in uh, Ephesians 5 about that. I'm like, man, let's just talk about this. And like, you know, I describe what that word slavery means in that context, in that time and what God was saying about it. And like, and they're like, oh, okay. Like they, there's no comeback. Right. So like, it's just, it's just, uh, it's just pretty clear. So I, yeah. and again, that's something that like historically Christians have been cleared about, you know, there, there was sadly in our country, Christians got pretty jacked up on that issue for 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 a while to the detriment i mean we're still feeling the effects of how some christians messed up on that um big time and that's sad and traumatic and to be grieved um but the answer is not like because christian misuse scripture that we should never use scripture no the answer is that we should learn better how to use scripture yeah yeah that's good it's interesting one of uh just came to mind one of the lists you kind of said how scripture will sometimes lay out these lists of of what what's sin um First Timothy, you know, one, uh, you know, one ten, you know, talks about in one of those lists the the sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality enslavers. So it actually has yeah, right, right, exactly, yeah, right, right, and homosexuality right. In, in the same. So you see exactly. clearly, scripture identifies slavery as, as yes, a sin, yes, absolutely, you know, as well as you know, those who practice homosexuality, absolutely, yep. Um, and as well as us who are sexually broken. In Absolutely, man. Ways. Yep. Yeah. Uh, that's good. Uh, Brother, we got, 
What do we got? We got we got time for one more question or? We, uh, sure, sure. Let's make go, it. Going yeah. for the hour mark. Going here. for the hour mark here on this. Uh, will this be our the, ser- the, sermon, the sermon was almost an hour, so let's go for an hour podcast. All right. Uh, just uh, for our youth, I think um, they live in a kind of a, a different world. Um, and you know, I think of you know, yeah, just how you know, and and probably I I don't know if any of our youth are tuning in to listen to a podcast, but so I think it falls on on parents and those that are shaping our youth, but how, how do you help them with this? Because I can imagine this can be a little bit of a, a potential stumbling block, right? Cause you know, we're saying that, you know, certain things are not uh, glorifying to God and are sinful. And yet this is their friends, right? This is, you know, their friends would identify in this way. Maybe they're, I mean, obviously they could be struggling in this way too, but how do you, how do you, where, where it's, this is kind of the world you live in. It almost can seem like, you know, you know, I, I was driving uh, my daughter to a basketball game yesterday in the city and, and, you know, I saw banners hanging up outside of school, you know, with, you know, it said love is love, you know, it was one mm-hmm. of the banners and yeah, kind of yeah. went through and, and yeah, that's true. Obviously love is love, but I know you mean something more than that. Right. Um, by definition, love is love, but uh, there, there's a, a, a different meaning behind it, but um, yeah, how, how would you speak mm. to uh, just you know helping our kids yeah. in, in this world they live in, helping them to know Christ, to love others, yet you know yeah, just how, yeah. how do they live, or how do we help our kids live for the Lord? Yeah, where that this is just so in their face. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Let me start with talking to parents. Um, one, I think this is why you need to have a conversation with your children about sex at a very young age. Um, because if you're not framing the conversation for them, you're letting the culture frame the conversation for them. Um, they, they, they will, they will be influenced. The only question is who will they be influenced by? And so like for, I mean, for us just put out there, like from a very early age, we're using anatomically correct, uh, words, right? So like, um, we're talking with our two year olds about their vaginas and penises, right? Cause we just want to begin to create categories. There's also actually a lot of research that shows that, that, uh, kids that can articulate correct anatomy uh, are actually better protected um, against sexual predators because they can describe what's happening to them. So that there was multiple reasons for us doing that. Um, but uh, but one of it is like we just want to start having a conversation, and then and then we want to start talking about what this is, you know. And and we obviously start talking with God, how God created us. And I'm not saying we did this at, at, at three, but I think like by seven, by eight, you know, you really need to really start thinking about these conversations. Um, you know, you. You need to know where your kid's at. I'd say if your kid goes to, to, to public school, definitely by, I mean, be careful. There's freedom here. But but I would strongly suggest by seven, um, you know, because cause they're going to be having these conversations. And they're going to be seeing things, you know, in, in different contexts. And so, um, you know, I, I think just you starting to have that conversation. So, you, one, you can frame it for them from a biblical perspective and showing God's good heart. One, who is God? What You know, how does God create us? And that's good. And then, and then two, so that they know they can continue to have conversations. Um, you know, you want your kids to be able to talk to you about anything and to be able to come to you and talk to you about anything. And so you model that at a very young age by showing there's no topic, by no, in some ways by normalizing conversations, right? I, I, I don't want my kids to feel like it's awkward to talk to me about sex. I want them to feel like it's just as normal as if they're talking about anything else having to do with their lives, they have questions about it or whatever. So, um, and it's not just like, you know, it's people that, hey, you know, you're going to have to talk. I don't think you should have a talk with your kids. I think you should have 
multiple ongoing conversations, right? And so, yeah, you need to have a talk where you talk about the birds and beads, but then, like, that should hopefully just set the foundation for all of it. So, parents, talk to your kids young. Um, start bringing these conversations up, talking talking them through things. Um, we've suggested some resources on our um, blog and things like that that you, can, that you can use to engage kids on this. That I would yeah, recognize that to you. So that's one thing. Um, I think another thing for parents is you pra- practice being quick to listen and slow to speak. And so not that you, again, don't try to speak the truth to your children. Obviously, yeah. you're called by God to do that. Um, but in many ways, they are on the front lines of this. You know what I'm saying? Like, they, like I know people who are, you know, who experience same-sex attraction. Um, but if you're a 15-year-old, I mean, probably most, like, it's kind of the in vogue thing to be, to be right now, you know? Um, non-gendered conforming and bi is, like, ev- every kid, right? Every influence on TikTok is, like, it's just this is the world they're in. And so just listen to them, draw them out, understand how they're feeling. You're like you're, this isn't an issue to them. Yeah. These are their friends. Mm-hmm. And so really what you're talking about is how, how do you care and love your friends? What does that look like? And so I think just um, help them, you know, help them to be able to talk to you and try to listen to them and care for them. And then, you know, as you're growing your understanding of the Bible, which I hope, you know, every, every parent is a teacher, which means every parent should be a learner. And so you should regularly be listening to, um, obviously, you know, being shaped by your local church, but hopefully reading on this topic. Like, if you're, if you're a parent, you, you need to read the resources I recommended. Like, you need to. Um, and so, uh, you know, you, you need to be a learner if you're in, in, order for, in order to be a teacher, and you are called to be a teacher to your kids. But the best teacher is a teacher, again, who, who knows how to listen and how to engage where they're at. And so listen to the kids. You're talking about their friends. They're on the front lines. How can you draw them out? How can you have good conversations? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, I think, that, I think that's, that's one thing. And then, and then, you know, obviously, if your child's a believer, um, you talk, you, you know, you, you encourage them one way. If they're not a believer, you, you know, it's different conversations. If they're not a believer, you're just trying to engage them about this issue and tell them about the goodness of the Lordship of Christ. But if they are a believer and they are professing faith in Jesus, then I think you talk to them about what does it look like to speak the love and truth? You know, what does it look like to be an ambassador for Christ? And, you know, um, what does it look like to, in, in a positive way, be, be disruptive? And, you know, as far as like being willing to speak out and, you know, I, I think, I think kids are just under so much pressure today to privatize their faith of like, well, okay, well, I believe this, but I don't want to say anything because I'm going to get canceled. And that's a real consequence that they could. Yeah that you need to have empathy for. But man, like, I just think how much how much the kingdom of darkness would must shudder if they think that our kids are starting to be prepared at age 13 to stand up for their faith. Yeah. Like, if they're counting the cost to follow Jesus as teenagers, what does that mean for the life they're going to lead and the damage they're going to do for the kingdom of God? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. you know, if your kid's a believer, I'd be encouraging them uh, not pressuring them, but praying for them and encouraging them. And, and when they step out, celebrating that, you know, as far as when they're able to share the gospel with their friends and, um, you know, what, 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 what we encourage gets repeated. Right. And so, uh, I'll be trying to encourage your Christian child, um, to be an ambassador for Jesus in their classroom and, and your non-Christian child, I'll, I'll just be sharing the gospel with them and, um, you know, continue to disciple them in, in that way. So I do think it's important to, have conversations young, um, recognize the kids are on the front lines, and so listen, 
and and speak truth after listening and then three um you know try to deploy your christian kids and give them a mission mindset from a young age uh i think that'll set them up for a lifetime of um the excitement and joy of being a missionary for christ in all of life mm-hmm. that's good man that's good well, it looks like we're we're out of time here. All right, it was good uh, good having this conversation. Hope it it serves those listening, and I uh, guess we'll we'll be back be back soon for another digging deeper podcast. Sounds good. All right, God bless everyone. See you guys.